right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we are going to be recapping our season. This is the last episode of our first season uh, of Need Some Introduction. That doesn't really mean anything. We're not taking a hiatus or anything here. Uh, it's just a way to logically break up uh, the show and start putting out new content. So today we're going to be talking about uh, what we did have this season, what is coming up in the next season. We're going to do a recap of Mayor of Easttown and our final impressions of the show, any kind of plot holes and things we might have. We actually have some user feedback. <clears throat> some listeners have written to us and have some interesting critiques of the show themselves. And we definitely want to get into those as well. Basically, the, honestly, this began more as a recommendation podcast for friends and, and, and um, friends of friends to uh, just to, as a way to keep connected during uh, COVID. It's just something that rolled out. Really, we just started three months ago or so. And uh, along that way, uh, you know, I actually uh, had a, a very good conversation with my friend Sona. Hello. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we started that conversation. We actually talked about some thrillers. And then just coincidentally, I noticed that this show, Mayor of Easttown, was coming to HBO Max. And I thought, hey, this is an excuse to keep the conversation going. And the show's been very successful for us as well. We've actually picked up a lot of listeners along the way. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, meanwhile, we continue to go forward with the uh, music uh, episodes as well. And those have gotten more and more popular along the way as well. The last episode we had last week of the covers was our most popular episode. And I think that was really fun for me as well, but uh, also from some of the people I've gotten feedback from. I think it's almost the the, the fun uh, aspect of trying to figure out who did the original or, you know, just kind of discovering new music. That's my, fun, that's my pleasure in, in, in kind of going into these uh, rabbit holes of um, looking at someone's musical history as well. So for season two, what does that mean? Uh, season two begins this Wednesday with, or this Thursday, I'm sorry, with the release of uh, Loki on Disney plus. So that is a show we will be recapping with a new contributor a comic book fanatic that is actually a coworker of my wife's will be beginning that recap show this week. And then we will be back next uh, Monday and we will be beginning our recaps for the show Evil on Paramount+. Plus. If everybody hasn't caught up on Evil yet, it is available on Netflix. It's been very popular on Netflix. Season one has been very popular on Netflix. It was on their you know, they published their top 10 now and it's on there. It was on there for a couple of months early on <clears throat> of its release. It's been out there for a while now, but feel free to catch up with that if you have Netflix. Season two is actually coming to Paramount Plus, And I'll be talking about Paramount Plus in just another minute. For that first episode next week, we will be recapping season one of the show. So you can get caught up if you haven't already caught up. And then the following week, we will start recapping season two, episode one, because it will be broadcasting one week later and available once again exclusively on Paramount+, Plus, which is kind of weird because it was CBS's biggest show last year. Kind of strange that they moved it over to Paramount+, Plus, or maybe not because I guess it's a way to sell the service. And oh, and we'll have many more music episodes as well. So I already have some music episodes recorded. We have a follow-up, a, a sequel to the covers conversation, and uh, we'll be talking about a bunch of other bands. We'll be talking about Fleetwood Mac. We'll be talking about Pink Floyd. We'll be talking about The Kinks. And uh, we'll be talking about more contemporary music as well. We're kind of getting some of the oldies out of the way early and then kind of talk about more contemporary music. So that is what we have planned. If you don't know about Paramount Plus, it is just recently a new streaming service that replaces the old CBS streaming service. If you would like to get Paramount Plus, I would recommend it for the following reasons. And by the way, I get no money from Paramount Plus, although I'm going to basically do a Paramount Plus commercial here, but I'll tell you why it's worth getting it for the next few months. First of all, it has a lot of content for kids. So if your kids are home for the summer, all of the Nickelodeon content, all the, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants, they have original, they have new original SpongeBob SquarePants content. So that might be a negative. It sounds a little bit like a threat, but okay. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was about to say. It could, that could be a negative, but uh, it is something for the kids to watch during the summer if they're around and they are fans of those shows. All that content is moving over to Paramount+. Plus. One uh, reason to get it. The second reason to get it is if you're a Star Trek fan, there are three, count them, three original Star Trek series on this Paramount Plus service right now. And they're adding two more series this year. So there will be five. Star Trek series, plus all the old Star Trek movies, all the old Star Trek TV series are all available there. So if you are a Star Trek fan, obviously this is the service to get. Uh, next reason I would mention it is to watch the actual shows we will be covering, which is Evil and The Good Fight, both very good shows from the creators of um, The Good Wife. And now they have their content exclusively on uh, this new Paramount Plus service. 
the good fight is very good. And what I like about it is that it uh, deals with these kind of legal issues. And we will be digging into this in the episodes themselves. It is kind of a blend of legal drama and like kind of a soap opera, but there's also always a big issue that they're wrestling with. So it could be, you know, the overreach of the um, Supreme Court, or it could be something that's happening in the news, like the protections for social media platforms and things like that. So these are all things that are happening in real time. And they use in a very entertaining way, often very funny, by the way, these scripts can be very funny. They are dealing with these issues and we will explore those issues. So oftentimes when I watch the show, I'm like, is that true? Is the law, can the government actually do that? And then I'll do my little investigation after I watch the episode. And I'm like, oh my God, they're right. The government can do that. I can't believe it. We'll be digging into the torn from the headlines topics that the show is addressing. uh, And of course, the day-to-day soap opera. and in the case of Evil, which also does all the things I just described in a slightly different context, because the show Evil is more, uh, it definitely has elements of courtroom drama, by the way, because they're former lawyers, so they have a fascination with that. But they oftentimes, A, talk about technology more so. They use this uh, kind of supernatural framework to to, to dig into these um, technological innovations and uh, things that are happening in the world, because I guess technology is almost supernatural at this point. And they use that as an excuse. But in general, evil is more like than anything. It's like the old X-Files TV series. You have someone who's a believer, someone who's trying to be become a priest, and you have somebody who's a skeptic, someone who's a psychoanalyst. And then you also have a hacker trying to debunk the supernatural events using technological explanations. And like the X-Files, it basically rides this line where they're like, is this supernatural? Is this psychological? Is this technological? What is actually happening here? And uh, they use that as an excuse to dig into like these big things that are happening either culturally, like mass hysteria. They had an episode about mass hysteria or technologically, like for example, like your Alexa listening in on your phone conversations. And that's how someone seems to have like psychic abilities or something, right? So they are playing with all these different things. It's very interesting. I highly recommend it. You can binge the entire thing on Netflix. And if you decide to subscribe to Paramount Plus, it's only $5 a month. It is included on some cable packages, but very few, but check it to see if you have it. If it's not on your cable packages on demand, then uh, you can pay for it. Oh, and the last reason to get it is that all of Paramount movies will be available streaming there exclusively also. So for example, right now, the number one movie in the country is A Quiet Place 2, which will be available on Paramount Plus free for streaming in about three or four more weeks. And not only is A Quiet Place 2 a big movie that will be available there, there's a new Mark Mark Wahlberg movie that's coming out, a big action movie that I just saw the commercial for last night that is premiering there this week exclusively. It's not even going to theaters. And then um, on top of that, you also have the Top Gun sequel and the new Mission Impossible movie, which are all available exclusively on Paramount Plus this summer. So if you want to watch any of those blockbusters at home, three months subscription, to the service is like one movie ticket. So it's very cheap considering what you're going to be getting. And you get to listen to us talk every single week about these shows, (laughs) which is the biggest reward of all. Isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I did want to um, call out two of our listeners who were very active in contacting us. And we really appreciate it. Patty basically reached out to us right before we got to the finale, which is when most of uh, we got contacts from most of you, actually. And she mentioned that she be- uh, that her husband had a theory that uh, John was actually Aaron's father, which turned out to not be true, but it was plausible, as she mentioned. And a lot less disturbing than what the truth actually was, right? True. <laughs> yes, true, considering. Yeah. And uh, so that was from Patty from Downington, Pennsylvania. And I believe Patty also gave us a, a five-star review based on Sona Sleuthing, and based on the username, she had guessed that <laughs> Patty very well may be the, one of our five-star reviews. So thank you so much, <laughs> thank Patty. Thank you, Patty. <laughs> Absolutely. An- another uh, email that I want to call out was from Anne from Raleigh, North Carolina. Anne has an eagle eye for sure. Yes. And that's what I was going to call out. Yeah. So uh, Anne had some really interesting feedback regarding some uh, red herrings and plot holes and also just um, inconsistencies in um, some uh, continuity errors, basically in the timeline. So we're going to save those for our for the uh, later in the podcast when we kind of are going to nitpick some of the uh, red herrings and other uh, you know critiques we have personally, me and Sona, uh, of the show itself. 
and we'll get into uh, Anne's feedback as well there. But to finally bring Sona in on this conversation or this uh, <laughs> discursion, I would, what, what, I'm what, here what, too. <laughs> I will hand it over to you, Sona, to uh, for you to uh, just give me your uh, overall impressions of the show, positives, negatives, and uh, like any main takeaways you got from from it. Thinking about our previous discussion after the finale and how I had said that I was a little bit disappointed in the ending. As much as I love the show, I love the series. I felt like there was a little bit of, uh, it was missing that satisfying click at the end. And after more consideration, I think maybe some of that is because of you, Victor, uh, which we <laughs> we touched on last week because you guessed the ending. So <laughs> I think maybe I would have enjoyed the ending more had I been blindsided by it or had I been uh, just you know minimal speculation that, well, what's Ryan's involvement here? But because I had that idea in my head, it just seemed like I was watching an hour of somebody confirming your theory, um, <laughs> which um, maybe is not fair to blame the mayor of Easttown people for. So, so I, um, I softened that criticism a little bit. Uh, I did really enjoy the show. I, um, I think, you know, in retrospect, the thing that I find most remarkable about it is how my expectations changed of what the show would be and intended to be. You know, I thought it was going to be a much more straightforward suspense, mystery type of thing. And in fact, in the end, all of that was secondary to the characters in this town and what their experiences are. And the thing that struck me the most, looking back on everything was the continuing theme of what parents will do for their children. Aaron and her dad, right, after Aaron dies, his first thought is to murder the person he thinks is responsible with Dylan, right? right? Brianna and her dad, he is trying to protect her at all costs and threatens Mare and throws the milk jug through her window. And then uh, you've got Dawn and Katie, right, that she won't give up trying to find her daughter even when it's been a year, everyone's telling her to give up that our daughter was, you know, a drug addict in involved in prostitution. Something terrible has happened to her, but she keeps fighting for her and for people to keep looking for her. You've got Aaron and DJ, right? Uh, besides the dad and Aaron, then you've got Aaron and DJ and the ear surgery. Um, <laughs> yes, the exciting incident of the whole thing. The bizarre motivator for all of this. <laughs> Right. Um, and the lengths that she will go to, to take care of that kid. And also um, to do what she thinks will protect the kid, right? By naming a father that is not the actual father and by continuing that pretense to, to crazy lengths in some ways. You've got Carrie and Drew, you know, she's fighting to get her son back and fighting to make her life better so that she can take care of her kid. You've got, of course, the most obvious thing is, is the, the mirror family, you know, Mara and her mom, Mara and Siobhan, Mara and Kevin, Mara and Drew. The, um, yes, I think that is a big theme in, in the, in the show. So two things, I, I agree to some extent that when I kind of solved the case early, it did, you know, maybe blunt the, uh, impact at the end, if I hadn't guessed it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but two points, I think to, that is one. Oh, is and I, I forgot. Yeah. I'm sorry to interject. Yeah. And of sure, sure. course, Lori and Ryan as a mother-son relationship and oh, all she's trying yes. to do to cover for yeah. her son. Right. Obviously. Right. Sorry, that was on my list and I just skipped over it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, sorry. absolutely. Yeah. And that's very, really I didn't very... want to act like I had forgotten about like a major plot point there. Yeah. <laughs> the, main, <Okay>. go ahead. <laughs> the main one, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, two. So two things to that is one, like I mentioned in last week's episode, I think that I solved it because the show played fair which I think is still preferential to me to have something that makes sense thematically and makes sense from a character perspective. And even though there is some little bit of hiding of, of information, but very little, I mean, they really pretty much in retrospect, if you rewatch the show, which I haven't, but I've kind of replayed it in my mind, uh, they're laying out these clues very clearly from the very beginning. So I think that they, um, there wasn't, they weren't really going for a shock finale. Uh, that's the first reason I kind of think that they weren't really going for that kind of impact. Uh, the second reason I think that they kind of um, weren't really going for that either is just the way they kind of wrap things up. Like I go back to something I said in, in last week's episode, but by the time they get into the interrogation room, 
uh, Ryan's just like, here's everything that happened <laughs> moment, the moment, the moment, right? Yeah. As opposed to like when you've seen, you know, when I've seen other types of movies or uh, TV shows that where they really are trying to get you with that like shocking finale. Yes. Oftentimes you're mm-hmm. like in the interrogation room and you still don't even believe it. I'm like, oh, maybe there's going to be another theory. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. they're going to, maybe they're going to come up with an alibi. Yeah. So like the show wasn't playing peekaboo at all at that point. So I feel like the show was almost like, kind of like, all right, we got that out of the way. <laughs> and, uh, and really they were focused more on uh, those interpersonal connections. Right. Which uh, I'll preview um, one of the critiques that Anne had, which I agree with, which is that it's almost like given the fact the show's focus really was on these interpersonal connections, and I completely agree with this, by the way, is that it almost feels like they should have, uh, she's calling out for an entire other episode, and I had proposed that maybe you reveal the killer very early in this episode, but either way, to give more breathing room for just kind of like settling everything in, we see Mayor maybe months later, her, her daughter's in school. We see her relationship with Guy Pierce, whatever that happens to be now, friendship or, or more. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see like, you know, uh, we already see that moment, this great kind of graceful moment in the in the film, in the show, where um, uh, she goes back and just holds uh, her friend, right? Uh, and that could have like, would have been even more impactful if there was some time, like they were away for months and now here she is yeah. making reconciliation. So I think the show needed more. It could have actually done. And I very rarely ask for shows that be longer, <laughs> like the Netflix effect of like, honestly, I always feel like every Netflix show is probably four episodes turned into 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally I'm like, okay, this all could have been at least two, three episodes shorter. I actually would have been happy with another episode here of this show. And I think that, uh, so it speaks to, I think, like you said, they were trying to shoehorn in this shocking reveal and this kind of like, atonement uh, finale uh, all into one episode, which is, you know, given, you know, the pace of the show, like how sometimes very little, you know, uh, character development, not in a negative way, just kind of like the show was allowing their characters to evolve in a more natural way. It felt like they were really shoving in too much. um, Especially because episodes four and five, if I'm recalling correctly, were really packed and fast paced. Right. So there was probably a little bit more there that could have been spread out had there been an additional episode in between. Yeah. And like also like given the fact that, you know, once again, just how, how uneven some of this was, uh, you know, you have that shocking finale at the end of the true shock of the show, right? And probably what led to its virality. By the way, the show was a huge success, just so everybody knows. This is a little bit of news. But um, it was the one of the only HBO shows ever. I think the only other one is The Undoing, <laughs> which uh, probably didn't turn out as well for, for viewers. But yeah. um, uh, literally for every single episode, it increased its viewership and it was very, very popular. And uh, now they're discussing having a second season, which I would look forward to just because now we've kind of, we know the characters, we know the dynamics. Um, you know, even though Mare, we can see her continuing to evolve, uh, you, know, in a, you, know, you know, in a healing way. But there's so many characters in the show that any one of those we can get into like a deeper dive into the psychology and background of those uh, one of those other characters. Right. So I would look forward to a second season if they decide to do it. And now they're discussing it because of the success of this first season. Right. So that's something to potentially look for. I want to see more of these characters, but I I have to say, like, I um, I balance that with the idea of like, you don't want. uh, And here's another dated reference from me. You don't want like a murder she wrote situation where it's right. like, wow, it's a small town in Maine, but if someone dies every week. Well, I, I would say that there's there's an opportunity right now if you know if anybody out there is listening to HBO, if you're listening to this, <laughs> or Brad uh, Inglestein, uh, the the writer, if you're listening to this now, which I doubt you are, but if you are, uh, here's my uh, recommendation to you on how to write the second season. Because uh, I always do this, by the way, when I'm watching shows, I'm always rewriting them in my mind. Anyway, so um, in uh, this particular case, we have the uh, abducted girls, right? So we speculated earlier that maybe this is something larger, right? That there might be a network of people working together. So there you go. You have an opportunity to say maybe another girl gets abducted, right? And yeah, they're like, wait fair. a second, didn't we kill that guy, catch that guy already? And right. it's like, well, maybe there's more than one person working together, right? And then maybe there's still somebody in the town that is involved somehow, right? And then, uh, you know, so, and then that digs up all the trauma, like we get to see um, with the abducted girls who are back home, we get to see them like dealing with this, you know, once again, now this is all resurfacing, they get dra- dragged back into the investigation, was there somebody else there, etc. And that allows us to reintroduce all the original players, because that was really the framing for this current episode, right? Yeah, or that's current fair. season, I should say, mm-hmm. right? 
And uh, yeah, so that could be um, like, I think, but if they kind of went deeper into Mayer's trauma from losing her son again, I think that wouldn't work. But like I said, there's plenty of people in the show with trauma that, uh, that, that can be explored, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, there's a lot that I think you can, you can suss out, you can imagine, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna just keep speculating, but there's, I think that there's, there's definitely an opportunity there to keep exploring that. And like I said, that is a big enough um, uh, plot point in this season, right? It's, you know, the framing of the entire season that really turned out to be resolved very abruptly, right? And because the um, suspect was killed uh, during the arrest, we don't know anything else beyond, you know, what- Well, what that was actually one of the things in my notes, jumping ahead. Yep. I mean, Zabel aside, did we need that plot line? I think, yeah, that's what you could make a critique of the show, like structurally, I agree that they obviously are, that's where they are not playing fair, let's say, is that they're doing something where, uh, did you ever see the movie Malice? <laughs> with um, Yes, a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> written by, what's his name? Uh, who, what's his name, the guy who wrote The West Wing? Aaron Sorkin? Aaron Sorkin, yes. So if it, I no didn't know that. If people have not seen Malice, by the way, this movie is hilariously bad. I know some people like it because of the twist, but this movie is awful. <laughs> and you I should... think I did like it, and I don't remember yes. the twist. I just remember Alec Baldwin being like, "I am God." <laughs> yes, exactly. That was the, the, that was like what they had in the uh, ads. But yeah, uh, yeah so I, I I'm gonna spoil Malice for everybody here, just so I can refresh. Yeah, it's memory. a 20 year old movie. I it think. A so yeah, I'm fair. spoiling a 20 yeah. 25 year old more. movie, maybe exactly. And yeah. Nicole Kidman was in it, and uh, Alec Baldwin uh, when they were both much younger, obviously. And uh, there's famously Alec Baldwin says, "I am God," uh, um, because and anyway, so because he's a surgeon, right? So yeah. um, that God complex kind of idea. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to spoil Literal. Malice here. So they fast forward by you know three or four minutes if you don't want to get spoiled on Malice. But I do recommend you watch it. It is hilariously bad, especially in retrospect. But basically, the premise of the of the movie is that there is a serial killer on campus and there's a professor on campus and all these girls yeah. are being killed, right? Yeah, it's and coming then, back to me, yeah. And then uh, simultaneously, we're discovering that, you know, Nicole Kidman, something's going on with her pregnancy. Uh, and, and we're like, how does this all fit together? What's, what is happening here? Like, what is this personal thing that's happening between Nicole Kidman and her husband? And you're like, how does this all tie together? About three quarters of the way through the movie, it turns out the serial killer is like the janitor on campus. They end up killing him. Uh, you know, he, it's revealed that he's a serial killer and he gets killed. And that's it. End of plot. <laughs> and I then don't we even find... remember the janitor, honestly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so ridiculous. And then the, the big reveal is that, you know, there's this divorce going on and there's this terrible case that went badly and blah, blah, blah. And that they went, won all this money. And what happens is Nicole Kidman ends up getting a divorce. She gets a divorce from her husband. Uh, she also wins a huge settlement from the, and it turns out she's having an affair with Alec Baldwin. Right, it's like a racket, right? Of some exactly, sort. and yeah. then yeah, exactly. The whole thing's a scam and that basically they are, this whole thing is set up so that she would be married, get, you know, sue him. They'd collect the money and now they run off together. It's really bad and really funny and um, it's really, really over the top. Okay. So that's the end of my spoilers. For what from... it's worth, I remember <laughs> enjoying the movie. Just saying. <laughs> I think it was back when people wanted just twists in movies. So I think it was uh, one of those. I still want twists. I love twists. But the reason I had the whole um, digression there is because I feel like it was similar where they're kind of saying like, we're investigating this thing over here. Right. And then it's like, haha, no, that's not what we're investigating. It's this whole other thing. So in that way, it's kind of a cheat, right? Although I think much more elegantly than Malice, uh, they were able to kind of, um, you know, uh, allow the investigation of one to naturally dovetail with the other. And then as is usually the case, and as I actually speculated very early in the season, by the way, that just given the fact that we were spending so much time with these characters uh, at home, I mean, that basically that these, you know, this very big kind of, um, you know, dead girl type plot um, would eventually become something much more personal, right? And it, because I think that was the focus of the show always, right? So, um, you know, and I think that's kind of, I thought that was kind of the direction they were going in. So, and I think they did a good job in general. Yeah, I just don't know that we needed it. I think they could have found a different way to bring in Zabel to help on the Aaron investigation, Um I mean, there could have been a reference to it, but we just spent so much time on it and it ended up being disconnected to the Aaron story, at least as of now, who knows what happens in the future. But, right. um, you know, I didn't mind the plot line. I just don't know that we needed the plot line to make this story work. Also on my list of plot lines, we didn't need, this will not come as a surprise to you, 
Siobhan and her personal life. I mean, I understand wanting to know more about the relationship between Mare and her daughter. I get that. Um, I, I think it's important, I guess, to give a frame of reference to why this girl is the way she is. But I don't know. Did we need all her bandmates? Did we need her romantic relationships? I mean, the one scene was very funny, so I love that payoff. Right. But um, I just felt like it was a lot of information about someone that... Um, for good or for bad, I was not that interested in. Right. And I also, there's some red herring stuff there too, but I can wait to address that. Yeah, no, let's get into the red herrings actually. Um, okay, so she's doing the the video, right? And it just seemed like such a big clue where he where she's looking at the video of him at the beach and saying, you know, Kevin and Carrie were broken up at this time, but there's a girl's voice in the background. Who is it? It just seemed like, dun, dun, dun. You know, that's a clue and it's going to be important later. And we never even find out who that person is. Um, you know, it's just an extra voice in the video. Uh, so that to me was, I, don't, I guess I was just hoping that it was driving to be connected with the rest of the plot in some way. And there was just a lot of extraneous stuff there that was not connected. And I did not find her interesting enough to want to know that about her. Like probably I would have liked to have known extra stuff about Zabel. Um, but she just wasn't compelling in that way to me. Uh, no fault to the actress. I didn't mind the actress. Um, other weird red herrings to me. Did we, was Frank really justified in spending that extra time with Erin, buying her diapers, lying about the relationship? What was all that about? Uh, Yeah, that, that I feel like is not really well fleshed out in in a number of ways. She like accuses him of potentially being with a, a, an underage girl, like someone who's like 13, right? At the time of her pregnancy. And also you know, completely inappropriate, you know, as, you know, in a teacher relationship as well, right? So like for many ways, you know, this accusation for her to accuse him of this, per, of this, and then for him to just accept it. And then for his, you know, the whole thing that Faye, you know, kind of was angry at him. So like, why was she angry at him? Did she think he was possibly capable of doing this thing? And then of course, once the case is resolved, Faye just shows up again. I'm like, there would be a lot of <laughs> I guess you're not a murderer or a pedophile. Okay. It's okay. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I'm back. Let's get married. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's a, uh, it's a little, uh, the whole thing's a little strange. Yeah. So that was on my list of red herrings. Um, also, and a, another one I've been vocal about just deal. I literally wrote down here, Dylan and everything about him. So, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like, what was all of that? Did we need it? I mean, was it just to confuse us? Because the, again, where was he at 2 a.m. that day? We still don't know. If we just completely take him at face value, then he did tell her. But then he does get very threatening on his girlfriend right away, which once again doesn't make sense. And um, it also doesn't make sense that as soon as he threatened her, she went and talked to the police. And then he goes and then like says, I know what I'll do. I'll go and threaten Jess as well. It's like, really? Last time to her face, like not just a verbal threat, putting a gun to her face. I mean, at that point, the journals are burned, right? Right. So, I mean, unless he thinks that she's still going to come forward with who the actual dad is, I I guess is what he's thinking. I I don't know. And again, like purposefully, I think the actor did a good job. He was very unlikable, but because- because of that, it kind of makes it a little bit more annoying that there was no payoff or closure on it. You know, maybe like maybe if you wanted to fold it all together, you could just say he was cheating with Jess. Right. And then and they were keeping yeah, it you know, sure. uh, uh, yeah. a secret because everybody knew each other. Right. Obviously, you know, Aaron and everybody's involved. And there you go. You don't have to introduce any more characters. And it also explains him being like, Jess, you have to keep your mouth shut about. Uh, you know what right. happened between us. Right. So that gives a little more um, explanation to all of these things. But uh, but yeah, all that being said, it all goes to speak to the fact that I think that the show's focus was very much more on the kind of emotional journey of Mare. And, sure. uh, and I think they did a great job with that. So that is, I think, really was the focus. And I think that they, that was very strong. And they also, of course, gave us that giant gut punch of making us really like her relationship with uh, Colin and then, and then kill him off. But to that point, by the way, I think that was underserved too, because I kind of called it out like that, you know, he was completely forgotten by the time we get to that last episode, right? It's like, everybody's kind of doing their reconciliations and we're all talking about like coming together and healing. And I feel like they even had that scene between Mare and Zabel's mother uh, in the previous episode intentionally in a way to uh, basically not have to address it again because they're going mm-hmm. to, um, you know, because they, they're they not really going to follow through with it that much uh, in the next episode. So that I felt was kind of a little, you know, kind of a way to, 
they made him into like a sacrificial lamb, kind of like what happens oftentimes in these shows with like usually like a young victim or something, which I guess they had too, because Aaron was kind of that. He kind of fits that role and then he gets killed. And then it's just like as a way to, for the town to heal. You know, it's like he just, he's there just to serve that forge of, <laughs> you know, for this, that purpose, unfortunately. But, and to that point, let me uh, bring up Anne's email again. She has a whole bunch of continuity errors in the show, eagle eyed as she is. Mm-hmm. She first reached out to us, I think, because we were talking about like, what is the timeline for this show? I'm like, is this 2019? Is this 2020? We all know I have struggled with that. <laughs> exactly. Anybody out there who was curious about this, the newspaper in the very first episode has a date of November 18th. This is all from Anne's email, by the way. Yes. Just a disclaimer. We have not audited Anne's work. We are taking exactly. her word. <laughs> but we trust. I trust. I trust her. Uh, November 18th, 2020. So for anybody like, you know, uh, obviously if they printed a newspaper with a date on it, uh, because a lot of this, the reason I'm going to call this out right away is because there's a lot of stuff on here that might just be bad continuity errors just from like production wise. But the fact that November 18th, 2020, this is a newspaper that they printed as a prop for the show. So I'm pretty sure this is canonical, let's say, right? Um, so in the very first episode, we have November 18th, 2020. So the show begins theoretically in the late fall, 2020. Uh, and then, of course, we know. Um, yeah, but this is what Anne's pointing out, right? It definitely doesn't because right. in the dialogue, they make it clear that it's a Friday in January. Correct. And it goes then, Mayor, and this is once again from the email, then Mayor references it's January 10th when she's talking to right. Siobhan regarding her applications, right? So now, you know, after seeing uh, the, the newspaper headline is, is stating that November 18th is the anniversary of the basketball championship that now we're looking at January 10th uh, for being the um, deadlines for applications. So theoretically that either, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely sequentially incorrect, right? Because um, I was going to yep. say that it could, uh, uh, you could argue that maybe those scenes were shot and was supposed to be in different episodes or whatever, but that doesn't make sense either because obviously the, um, the, the earliest the, date is, is the earliest this could possibly be happening. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So then now we have January is the uh, deadline and somehow that's um, happening in the same episode. Uh, and then another continuity error, and this one might just be a legitimate continuity error, is that Aaron's uh, phone says October 27th when she receives a text message to meet with quote unquote Brendan. So Brendan is the, um, uh, the profile. Like the catfish, exactly. So that, to meet at 10 o'clock. So then that shows October 27th. So now we are ready all over the place here with, with the dates, right? Oh, and then once again, another eagle-eyed, as she is, excellent, is that we see the flyer up. Once again, something that was printed up for the show. So very intentional on the dates here, not something that was accidentally um, set up, that it says that uh, Katie Miller is missing. It's one year since she's been missing. And on the flyer, it says 1-10-2019, right? Which and means so that- that adds up. Exactly. So the flyer and- the dialogue regarding the uh, applications yeah. makes sense. But then the uh, newspaper headline about the anniversary right. of the uh, basketball game does not make sense. Maybe they just couldn't get the gym free. Until yeah, December. unless they're like, we're gonna, we're, go, we're going, it's November, it's the anniversary, but we're gonna yeah. wait till the dead of winter to have this uh, Maybe they wanted to do the, I don't know, the ceremony at the last game of the season. I, I don't know. I'm grasping at straws. Right, right. <laughs> She also calls out the fact that uh, Kevin died in February of 2018. DJ was born in November 10th of 2018. I'm not sure exactly how she got that, <laughs> but that is um, the, the, the basic timeline. But it does like if DJ was born on November 2018, that also means that then Aaron, who was 16 when she died, two years earlier, that means she was 14 when she gave birth, right? So th this is, this is, yeah. And, and which makes sense with the context of what we were calculating earlier that yeah, at they, 13, that the, right. but she was impregnated at 13. So this is an affair that's going on, you know, beginning when she's 13 years old, which is obviously extremely inappropriate, right? I just call that out for the fact that, you know, as inappropriate all of this is that, you know, you can almost imagine that, you know, she is 16, maybe going on 17 potentially when she dies. But yes, this affair began when she was 13 years old, right? 14 at the latest, right? And that, which is, you know, a, a really, really, it, it just once again puts the button on when we were talking about how John was like talking about how, you know, him yeah, and her had this like special connection. I'm like, she's 13 years old. What are you talking about? Like, she's, you know, only slightly older than your son. That's like ridiculous. Yeah, it's twisted. Yeah. Yes, exactly. uh, and I mean, the, the date of birth for DJ was up on that uh, that medical screen, right? In the doctor's visit office. Right, so right. 
that's where that would come from. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think the, the Kevin death date, I can't remember where that comes from. But I do believe that they could have tried to make it conceivable that Kevin is DJ's father, just as another red herring, red herring kind of thing. Right, and she actually brought that up in uh, yeah. as a possible theory, and that's why she put it in that email. Yeah. But um, but uh, but yes, and then maybe maybe that was intentional, right? Especially I, with the un, unidentified female voice in the videotape, right? True. Good point. Good point. So the first thing she actually calls out here in this most recent email she sent to us. She says, it seems Kenny knew about the incestuous relationship given his anger towards John in the scene where he was uh, being informed of the murder <clears throat> and the painful expression when he sees the date on the locket. To me, it seems that he'd be way more angry than he was. That's why I gravitated more towards the theory that he, him being Aaron's dad versus Aaron's molester. Why would he continue to protect John in the scene at jail where Mayor and the chief, I would think his love for his daughter would Trump? Oh, so yeah. So she 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 seems to believe that Kenny knew about the relationship with John. I don't think that's the case, by the way. Um, I'm I with do. You. I do agree that there is something you can read in some of the interactions that is strange, but I still can't like for all the reasons she says here. Uh, and that leads me to another thing, by the way, is when did John know? When because I'm trying to think about like just how <laughs> I'm trying to figure out just how big of a sociopath John is, by the way. Complete 100% sociopath. <laughs> yes. So I've gone back and forth in like saying, like initially I'm like, he is a straight up sociopath because he's so cool uh, under uh, uh, the pressures of what he knows. Uh, but then I'm like, oh no, wait a second. He didn't know everything. But now I'm going back in my mind and I'm like, this guy is so cold blooded, right? Compared to Billy, for example, right? So here's my question. So when we are in the second episode and he is going to talk to Kenny about Aaron, about the fact mm -hmm. that Aaron, uh, him and Billy show up. He disposed of her body the night before, right? That's right. So there you go. Straight up, <laughs> straight yeah. up sociopath. Straight up because sociopath. I, yeah. Cause I'm thinking a, that is sociopathic. That's the first time that he's uh, completely, completely uh, creepy, right. When he's just like so nonchalant about something that is, um, you know, he should be way more uh, stressed about. Um, that's one. Then we have the scene in the very next episode, right? Where Kenny uh, goes and lays down in the rocks after he, he thinks he's killed Dylan, right? Mm -hmm. um, when they go look for him, once again, Billy is totally stressed out. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And John's like, chill out. <laughs> but I'm like, wait a second. Don't they both know that like this family member may have like gone and killed somebody and may have, you know, committed suicide or whatever. Uh, it might, but it might be like a murder suicide. And they're like, yeah, all because of what happened last night mm -hmm. or two nights at this point, you know, exactly. we're, we're talking about like a week at most it has passed. Right. And he's still like, Hey, chill out, Billy. What's wrong with you? Like, what do you mean? What's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> we all yeah, know what happened. Sure. <laughs> and once <laughs> again, I was like, so that, upset that, about a little murder and cover up my God. <laughs> and that, and the only rationalization I was making in my mind of that behavior, by the way, was up until that point, by the way, even when I had this theory, I'm like, oh, this theory makes sense. It also explains how he was so calm and cool and collected. And the last uh, example I'm going to give of this is when they show up and they're watching, uh, when Mare shows up at their house and they had just sat down to watch the, the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, she starts asking questions like, you know, um, well, what, you know, Aaron lived with Billy. What was that? Blah, blah, blah. And Billy freaks out. He's like, I got to get out of here, right? Like he knows he's yep. not going to be good under fire. Yep. So he has to get out. Yep. John is just watching the game. Like he's totally yep. like just chilling, watching the game. Like he's not sweating at all. He's not even worried. Like what's so funny is like, wouldn't you at least be like, oh my God, Billy is going to freak out. Yes. And give the giveaway. He's going to blow it. Mm -hmm. going to blow it. And he's just like chilling. It's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so like this guy is like, as like a total cult. Either this is a plot hole, by the way, or he is straight up. Cold-blooded monster, right? Yeah, maybe season two will address all of the other awful things he's done in his life. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's yet. yeah, maybe he's the yeah. yeah, maybe he was involved in the whole girl abduction <laughs> thing, right? Maybe, and, and maybe certainly that's the... capable of it. No, and the reason, um, as much as I dislike Kenny and I don't think he's a good person, I I think even Kenny would draw the line at trying to murder someone just for the sake of like murdering Dylan. You know, if you really knew that there's probably more going on as far as who killed Aaron. I think if you really knew there was all of that other stuff going on, I don't think you would have jumped to, to try and murder Dylan like that, but, but maybe I'm giving Kenny too much credit. Yeah. But, <laughs> potentially. 
potentially. Yeah, um, potentially. He could still know all this stuff and still think Dylan is the one that killed her. It is possible. I actually think that this is a problem. I think it's like actually a continuity problem in the show in the way that he was playing those scenes. And once again, I feel like there are some, and maybe this might be COVID related, by the way, just so you guys know, this was being shot, like literally this show finished shooting just as the COVID outbreaks. Um, so maybe they couldn't go back. Like I could imagine potentially that there were like, normally you would have pickup shots. Like normally mm-hmm. you just, uh, when you shoot a show and you put it together, you look at the episodes and maybe there were continuity issues here. Like for example, it really does seem like John, as written in the earlier episodes, was not aware of everything that happened in my reading of it until he has the conversation with his son, right? When we see that overheard conversation. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. maybe that's when the son says, look, Billy came, helped me cover Mm -hmm, this up, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And he's like, I'm going to make this okay, right? So um, that would make sense. But then in the last episode, or the, I believe it's, the, yeah, it's, it has to be the last episode. So in the very last episode, we basically have that conversation where he reveals that he knew the night of, which yes. once again is a continuity issue uh, because there is a clue in that same episode, in the very same episode where Frank says, it's so weird that John murdered yes. her because yeah. when he drove us home, he was so yeah. relaxed. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like, well, in the final confession, supposedly, uh, based on the other characters' testimonies, that he already knew by then, right? What had happened, right? Yes. So, um, so then it would still be strange. So, like, how could it be a clue if it actually turns out to be a fact at the same time, right? So, uh, so that, so that, I once again, I feel is like a continuity issue, and it's probably something they may have cleaned up in the edit, or they might have reshot that scene or something like that. But they probably couldn't because they couldn't get back together mm. due to COVID. So, uh, but I mean, there's ways you can do that too. By the way, you can. You know, like uh, this is another thing, once again, just behind the scenes, just so people know when you're doing a TV show, a lot of times there's like a missing piece of information or there's uh, something you need to know. So what they'll often do is they'll just shoot all the characters like at the interrogation room and they'll shoot them like over their shoulders, just having conversation. So their mouths are moving. And then what they do is after the fact, they'll just use some of that footage. And they'll have like the actor just speak lines, like kind of fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And then they just like shoot over their shoulders and uh, it's like, fine, like you don't see their mouths moving, so it doesn't matter. It's uh, it's just um, filling in the blanks with just audio. So that's something that uh, oftentimes happens. So my point is, I feel like there is, like that is just doesn't make sense. So that is just something that is, you know, a, a, like a flaw in the show, I think. And and I think it's unintentional. Uh, right, I agree. And I don't think they, they fixed it uh, enough right. in, in the edit. So that's it. I mean, I, we just picked apart all these... <laughs> These red herrings, which I'm sure, by the way, once again, I've never done a recap show before. So I'm sure if I was kind of micro uh, investigating any show, I would probably find many for holes sure. in it. Yeah, for sure. But overall, I still want to say that the show was excellent. Uh, I agree. As uh, you know, the performance is primarily excellent. Um, I do get annoyed, by the way. I do get annoyed when I find these little, like, I think if the show, for example, is structurally ridiculous, the mystery is is dumb or the solution is like unthought, you know, is just lazily put together, then I don't even, you know, bother to nitpick at it. In this case, I get a little annoyed by these nitpicks because I feel like it doesn't take a lot of work to fix these problems, right? Like, once mm-hmm. again, like, you know, even John's motivations, if we just say, we're going to, regardless of what's in the original script, we're going to say John didn't know until uh, that conversation with his son and Billy was the one who covered it up. And then John covered up the cover up, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. That all makes sense. Everything, everything lines up. And yeah, that would have been a cleaner way to go. Yeah. yeah. And John is still, you know, and everything like, you know, John, regardless is an accessory after the fact period. He still is an accessory after the fact. So it doesn't change anything legally. And of course, John is primarily going to go to jail, not for being an accessory after the fact, but because he molested this little girl, right? So, um, and that doesn't change at all. So nothing even changes on the facts on the ground are the same. I just feel like it's kind of just these little niggling things that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that bother me. I get it for sure. On the plus side, I think that Mare has quit vaping by the end of this oh, season. <laughs> maybe. No, it's very hard to quit kick vaping, you know? It, it, believe me, it is very hard. I'm actually doing, uh, I'm, I'm working on something relating to Jewel right now. And it is very, very hard 
uh, to quit vaping. So I give her credit. <laughs> yeah, good that for vape you. pen was like a constant accessory through most of the season. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> At least she wasn't smoking cigarettes. So that's something. Yes, that's true. That would, that would be the norm, right? It would just be cigarettes. I guess in the old days, that's how it would be. Yeah, I think it's like a new world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny too, because you're not allowed to show smoking cigarettes anymore on TV. Like you have to literally have a disclaimer if you show someone smoking cigarettes, <laughs> which I guess people, more people vape now than smoke anyway. So I guess it's not that uncommon. I didn't know that about the smoking disclaimer. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I don't know if you noticed this, but like even old shows, like if you look at the, you know, in the upper right-hand corner, upper left-hand corner, they always have like, yeah. when you start a show, they have like the content warning that mm-hmm. uh, older shows, like I mean, older movies, like you could have like old movies from the forties and fifties that have people smoking. And that they're probably like would get like, a, you know, a, um, they would not get any kind of content warning. And they all have these content warnings, you know, like for mature audiences, because they're like, <laughs> they show smoking. And I guess we're not supposed to allow kids to see people smoking anymore, which by the way, I don't want my daughter watching people smoke on TV either, because it does, you know, I used to smoke and uh, definitely, you know, you know, whenever I would see someone smoking in a movie, I'd be like, oh, I really want a cigarette right now. <laughs> so it definitely works as uh, subliminal um, uh, advertising. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Maybe it'll be a little bit of a, a fun little quiz. Take Mare out of the equation. Who was your favorite major character on the show? Who was your favorite minor character on the show? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Oh, I think I think my favorite. Okay, my favorite major character definitely is got to be Colin. I think. Oh, I was going to say the same. I was hoping we'd have different <laughs> answers, but God, Evan Peters was just so good in this role, wasn't he? He was. He so was so likeable. good. Oh yeah, like he is. I got to say that I have not been a huge fan of his in general. Once again, saw him mostly in those American Horror Stories. And by that point, I, I, honestly, I dislike the American Horror Story episode show so much at this point that I kind of so turned off of those. Yeah, I kind of like, dislike everyone in the cast. <laughs> yeah, like, well, it's, I, it's too much. That yeah. that series to me is just the definition of too much. Yeah, it's just it's just in- intentionally so, right? But it's just like yeah, and it's it's rough, and it keeps and they suckered me in year like first year. I hated it. I couldn't stand how over the top it was. But by the end, they got me back. Season I love two, the first year. yeah. Season I two, it. I quit on it. And then you and Joel actually were the ones who uh, got me to, to come back in. It was in. so twisted. And then it just, I, I don't know why I watched that, honestly. I think back on it and I think, my God, I think it was just like a deer in headlights, like yeah. train wreck situation <laughs> was the only reason I can understand that I kept watching it. And then when they just kept upping the ante season yeah. after season, like, oh, I just checked out. Yeah. And then that's basically was my experience too. So it was like season two, I checked out and then you uh, and Joel convinced me to go back. Joel primarily, because I know he was very effusive about it. He wanted me to watch the Christmas episode, which by the way, was really messed up, but also did get get me back into it. And then I watched it through the end and I thought that it did some interesting things at the end there of season two. And then I don't even remember what the following seasons were, but basically for the next two or three years, probably I would check in for the first episode and then the first episode would always kind of hook me in a little bit. Yes. And by the yes. second or third episode, I'm like, I can't watch this. Anymore. What is this? Yeah. I got to mm-hmm. just drop out. Uh, I did, I was almost tempted to watch this current, was it this current season? The one where it was slashers? Because I did think, considering that slashers are so cheesy to start with, that mm-hmm. it could be, they could have fun with it. But that's why I kind of checked out on it, is that the show is not fun cheesy. It's like mean-spirited cheesy. And uh, so it, it's simultaneously so much shock value. I feel like so much for shock value. Yeah. It's, and I feel like the show simultaneously is mean spirited, not fun. And at the same time, really just despise your characters. It's like, why, why am I even watching yep. this? <laughs> I don't understand. Yep. Right. So, um, okay. So <laughs> that's our digression on why <laughs> you should not watch that show, which is way more popular than it should be, but um, it's still on whatever, nine, 10 years into this thing. Or so. Who knows? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, people keep watching that thing. But uh, anyway, <laughs> the, the huge digression, um, but uh, Evan Peters. So that's primarily what I knew him from. And that left a bad taste in my mouth just because I disliked those shows so much. And then I saw him in um, uh, one of the X-Men movies and he was really funny in that, but I thought in a very limited way. So I didn't really pay him much uh, heed. So this really impressed me. I was like, oh, wow, I really liked him. He was so funny and so natural. Uh, yes, I, I, I agree. I thought it was just a great really just fun to watch him which is like absolutely to me a a great compliment to an actor when you just have fun watching them exactly exactly and not in like he's not even that's what is i really impressed me about him i'm not like one for there are some people who are like a class clown like you notice them because they're like so 
you know, overtly trying to get your attention. His acting was just like so natural the whole entire yeah. way, mm-hmm. but still stole every scene he was in. He was just, he just great. I think he did a great job. For the sake of picking someone different than you picked, I will pick Helen, Jean Smart's okay. character. Uh, who... See, I was going to pick her, but I was going to pick her as a minor character because I feel like she oh, was. I think she's a major yeah. character. My minor character favorite is very minor. So okay. Um, so you'll see, I guess, more the the tears I like, people it's into. <laughs> yeah, he's so likable. Um, but I guess it's telling, though, right, that the the characters that we're gravitating towards are the ones that kind of provided some comic relief here, oh, or absolutely lighthearted moments. I mean, aside from like Zabel, rest in peace, that final scene. Yeah. But. Um, but they uh, provided a nice balance to all of the dark themes and serious themes and heavy themes that were going on this season. It was like very refreshing. And one scene with Jean Smart that I don't think we discussed from the finale is the one where she and the, the priest are watching the news on TV and Mara's entering the house and she's like, change it, change it, Mara can't see this. And somehow in the chaos of it all, she falls out of her chair and all right. on mm-hmm. the floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, Mayor comes in and says, my God, how much have you been drinking? You can't even <laughs> stay in your chair. Um, but she just, she did physical comedy really well in a way that I didn't know Jean Smart was capable of, uh, even though I almost thought she's very funny. Oh, yeah. And I was going to call her out as a minor character. Like, it's strange that we have them uh, set up in different uh, categories there. I, I see where you say she's a major character because she's like in every episode, but she was really there just kind of, I felt like she was just there for seasoning. That's kind of how I feel a supporting character is in general. I always feel like they kind of like add some flavor, but they don't like, I almost feel like if a character doesn't have its uh, a point of view in the show, and I mean that specifically, once again, I'm thinking very technically about this, but if, uh, you know, when you uh, have scenes that you basically see from their mindset, from their point of view, I feel like that's a more of a major character. When someone's only there in a supporting like they don't have an interiority, then I feel like that's more of a supporting. And that's how she felt was she was like the biggest supporting character, right? Because she is obviously in every episode and she's always there with these, you know, great one-liners and things like that. But at the same time, she never becomes like, we, she never becomes a point of view character, basically. If they were giving award categories, she would yes. fall into supporting. Yes, right. I agree Absolutely. with you there. Yeah. Yeah. But we do know a lot about her, about her life about what she's been through with Mare, about her affair with Yes, her affair, but to say. You know, and about her her continuing relationship with with Mare and how, you know, she's kind of rooting for her to get through this. To me, I consider her more major because my minor character pick is so minor, but I liked him a lot. The police officer who can't stand the sight of blood. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a very minor character. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah. But again, someone who provided some comic relief to the show. And <laughs> I liked how it was a recurring issue about like, maybe he's chosen the wrong career. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I, I definitely have Helen as one of my favorites on the show. I had her in a more minor role. Oh, and I was going to say, as far as Jean Smart's, uh, you know, comeback year that she's having, um, or I guess it's a couple of years now, between doing the Fargo show and doing... Uh, Watchmen, which I think she got an Emmy nomination for, and now um, this, which she'll probably get another Emmy nomination for, uh, and currently Hacks, uh, which I don't know if you've caught up on yet, but uh, I and I currently haven't. I'm still, I'm still behind on um, the, the current week. They, they they dropped more episodes this week, which I did not watch, but they. Um, uh, but anyway, I've I've watched the first four. Kind of plays like a Joan River type um, comedian who uh, is now working in Vegas and very famous in Vegas. And um, she has her own like a show that she does every single night. She's like the longest running show in Vegas, et cetera. But she is like, all, like as often is the case with comedians uh, off, uh, you know, stage, she is cruel and uh, not, you should probably depressed. <laughs> and mm. she is torturing this young woman who deserves it, by the way, most of the time, uh, uh, this young writer that's working for her. And it's just kind of this very, um, you know, this, uh, person was like kind of at the end of their career, someone at the beginning of their career, and they're kind of coming coming to this mutual appreciation. And the show is very, very good, very, very different feel for her completely. But just to your point of what a great actress she is. Okay, how about least favorite character? I think you're going to be surprised by my answer because it's not Dylan. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's not Dylan. Um, least favorite character. Hmm. I would say that my least favorite character might be Freddie. The drug and, addict. Okay. Yes, yeah. And the reason I say that, it's not even the performance so much. And this is something I called out earlier in the season. I don't even think, I think I cut it out earlier, but I'm going to call it out now. I do have an issue with the the minorities in the show. 
I really don't know if this is how the show was written and they tried to add them after the fact, but I feel like they did something that was like you would see back in the like 1990s or something uh, in the way these shows are written, where you have these minority characters coming in. They're really just supporting the plot. They don't really mm-hmm. get their own interiority. Once again, this idea of interiority. Yes. And uh, you, and then they always fall into this kind of camp where they're like, um, they're, uh, uh, you know, like Freddie is just like this, uh, you know, he's very one-dimensional. He's an addict, period. That's it, right? So you either have that or you have, um, once again, this is very old school. It's not, it's not something you really see in contemporary shows. Uh, or you have this kind of um, idealized version, like, you know, it's the police chief or the best friend. The police so officer that, thing is definitely a well-known trope, right? For the black exactly. actors to be in law enforcement. Yeah. yeah and, th- and this is what always used to happen, by the way, like in the 1990s, it would be like, we want to have some kind of representation in this show. We don't want it to be all white actors. So, and we don't want to put like black people in here only as criminals. So for example, we'll get like Morgan Freeman to be like the judge, right? Mm-hmm. Which is equally bad in my opinion, by the way, because it's like what you would do is you get this situation where you get this character that is, um, you know, so it's okay. We have positive representation. Great. Right. He's the police chief. Right. Where I think that the actor who plays the chief does his best, by the way, to give his character some personality and i think that he does convey personality but it's not there in the script it's just him really working (laughs) to make something out of a character who literally walks into a room and then like shake his head and then walk back out (laughs) i agree i well you know bethy did have a little bit of a a more well-rounded character development right the addict sister she did but still she kind of is there and as the her she's primarily there to like you know, um, uh, to, as the best friend, right? And that's kind of where I was talking about, like the best friend kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you wonder so much, and this is a much bigger conversation about diversity for diversity's sake. Yes, versus, exactly. So here, you know, maybe for the sake of diversity, they tried to incorporate these people, but in reality, maybe this town would be largely white. Maybe the police, you know, department is largely white. You know, it's it's hard to say, right? Right. Yeah. It, it, but it, to that point, I totally agree. By the way, I completely agree that oftentimes what ends up happening is what you're describing, where do you or could potentially happen, is where you have diversity for diversity's sake alone, which I agree, which I feel is the potential problem with this show, right? That they kind of put it in there for the sake of having diversity, but I feel like it's a half measure, right? Where you either so you either have to deal with the racial issues, right? Explicitly, I think, right? Or you don't, right? But there's no right. reason that, for example, Mayor's best friend, Julianne Nicholson's a very great actress, by the way, terrific TV actress. Um, but uh, there's no reason that like that character couldn't be, you could basically, there's no reason to not have colorblind casting, let's say, right? So my point is that, and the reason I call that out specifically is this doesn't feel like colorblind casting this feels like shoehorning, right? So it really feels like, like we need to I put agree in with these you, characters. Especially yeah. because I also remember when Mare goes to the therapist, there's a photograph on the desk. And I believe there was a person of color in that photograph as well as the therapist being black, right? So right. Um, I think, yeah, they tried to kind of build it up in the background with those right. characters, right. Uh, but not put in the actual... Uh, not kind of put your money where your mouth is and make it someone important. Right. And that's where I say, like, you know, it should be like almost like colorblind casting. And it's not just, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, black um, actors either. Uh, It's also other ones, too, because you can imagine like maybe maybe mayor's um, uh, maybe mayor's um, romantic interest is somebody, you know, could be an Asian character, could be anything. Right. It could just be completely. Um, arbitrary as to who, but like, it really felt like what they're doing is like you were saying, they get like supporting characters, like Shaban's girlfriend is black. Right. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the best friends and she's only there to like, so like uh, Dawn's best friend, right. Same thing. Right. Uh, It's just Dawn's best friend. And she's there, but it's Bethy. Right. And, uh, uh, and like you said, Bethy does have like one scene where she talks about like, God, you know, sometimes I wish maybe my brother would, you know, be out of the picture. Right. Which is like the one scene where she kind of has like her own, opinion on something the rest of the time she's there to like help dawn deal with her situation and pat her on the head and and um 
uh, you know, deal with, uh, you know, discovering Freddie's body. But once again, like once you discover Freddie's body, if that's a character that we knew in some way, that would be traumatic for her to be like, oh yes. my God, Bethy, don't walk in right now. You don't want to see yes. this, right? We could, this is just plot when we're watching it because yeah. these characters are just there to, um, you know, fill uh, in. to fill yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. To, to, to fill in another plot point. Once Agree. again, how important is that character? Not very important, right? So. And just to nitpick on something I said, as I'm talking about this, I realized, um, that actually the photograph on the desk of the doctor was not the therapist, it was the pediatrician. I think the pediatrician was not black, but she had a photograph of somebody brown skin on her desk. So right. we had that photograph, we had the therapist, we have the police people, right. we have Bethy and her brother, we have Dylan and Jess's unnamed friend. I don't think they even gave him a name, right? Right. <laughs> I think they did give him a name though, but I don't know what the point of it was because he didn't speak pretty much. Yeah. And like you said, really, it's sprinkled yeah. in there. Yeah. And that's like basically the litmus test for me, right? It's like it's sprinkled in there. And it's like, A, if I cut that character out of the show, did it change anything in the show? Like the, the you know, in other yeah. words, having Dylan's friend there, right? Does Just it change anything? For it. Yeah. Absolutely nope. not. Right. And that's, that's the first thing, right? Second of all is um, uh, um, even if you did need the character in some way, if you changed the the role, and I don't mean just change the race of the character, but I mean, if you took that performance and you made it a bad performance, like a perfunctory performance, like the police chief is a perfect example where the chief has character and has some a couple of good speeches when he's trying to like say, Mayor, I believe in you, I wanna save you. So he has some good scenes, but once again, imagine the same show with an actor giving a terrible performance. And if it doesn't change the quality of the show, then like, once again, what is the point of this character, right? So. Yeah, I agree. But all a roundabout way to get to my least favorite character in yes. this show, uh, who is Frank. Oh, yes, yes. I. My God, what a loser yeah. this guy was, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like, yeah, that that you're, you're right, a bad character. A, it's like kind of you never get a feel for why Mare and him would have been together, right? To begin with, I think she was selling herself short from the start. Yeah. And then there's no sense of, uh, once again, talking about that interiority, there's no sense of him at all in the fact that, you know, you, you're like, he could be a killer, right? Mm -hmm. And then later on, it's just like him and Mare are making jokes about like, oh, don't wear that suit. You're gonna look terrible. Yeah. Right? You know? And they're like all palling around. And it's like, there's no sense of like how those, that the character represented in one scene versus the other, like it, none of it makes any sense, right? Like he, uh, he's a good guy. He like, he shows up to make sure everybody's okay when there's a blackout, whatever. Eh, he's a all right. I don't know if he's even a good guy, but yeah, he did show up during the blackout. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, and, and what I mean is I'm not even saying that he is a good guy, but my point is like the way it's written, it's like, he's a good guy. He's swooping in to help them out when they need his help. Right. Uh, he's clueless. He's like calling her on the phone about his own uh, drama when she's dealing yeah. with much more serious things. He's He's, he's a bad guy. He could be a killer, right? It's just like, he's just, what? What is he just, whatever the scene needs him to be. It seemed like kind moment. of like a spineless milk toast in the end, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. But he could be a murderer, but she suspected him of murder. That's that's my point. <laughs> my point is that, you know, if he is, yeah, anyway, all to the speak to the fact that I think he was not only a bad character, um, you know, I think the actor's trying to do pretty good, trying to do his best. I don't with, mind the actor at all. I think that the actor is good. I like him. Yeah. But yeah, but but to the point of like, but what is, yeah, like you said, what, what is, is the, this character for? What yeah. is the purpose of this character, right? Exactly. Yeah. What purpose does it serve, right? And once again, like he should be in the show much less. If he is like, there are ways you can make this character work. He could be the clueless ex-husband who's like all happy and like moving out my life. And Mare is meanwhile miserable. And she's sure. like, how can you be moving on? Like, you know, her son passed away, all these things, right? Like, it, it, you know, that's one direction you could take the character in. So it's like the dichotomy, like how is he moving on and I can't move on? Uh, then he should be in the show way less, right? Then you have the opposite, right? Where you could be like, he's Mr. Happy-go-lucky, but there is this darkness. It's like, Mayor, you know what? I'm going through this too. I'm just trying to live my life, right? You have to, um, you know, uh, cut me some slack. Like, it's not like you're the only one who's going through this. Yes. And you could have that version of the character, but we don't have Which that version of the character. there was a little bit of that. There a was little, a little bit. Very little, very yeah. little of that, right? And I think I do, on a character level, I think I do uh, fault him for letting Mara believe that she was a bad mom. I think the whole oh, yeah. yep. family, I know they're a little bit scared of her and, you know, like don't want to upset her. But I think, you know, she's created this narrative for herself for most of the show 
that she has failed and she's a bad mom. And I think none of the family did enough to dispel that for her. I mean, in the end, it all lies within yourself. And I understand that. But at the same time, like, I, I blame him a little bit for her being so hard on herself in an unwinnable situation. I, I actually will give the show credit, maybe not in the script, but in the performances and in the way the show is assembled for allowing me to, you know, I like, I don't mind filling in the blanks basically. And it and the show does allow me to fill in the blanks in a satisfying way for myself uh, in the fact that, you know, she can be so difficult that I can imagine that like, for example, like when you look at how difficult she is at the beginning where, you know, she refuses to like, let things go sometimes. I mean, we see that towards the end of the show also, right? That I can imagine that like, you know, her family maybe was trying to do a more conventional intervention at some point, And she may not have ever allowed that, right? Because I can't imagine her, like in the same way that she's with her therapist, I can't imagine that she's just going to be all okay with all this, um, you know, um, uh, from the start, right? So anyway, I think that there's enough there to show that she, um, you know, there was some complexity to a, uh, to, to, to her as yeah, a person. It's a complicated situation for sure. Right. All right. I think we have done our due diligence here. I agree. So thank you so much again. This was so much fun. Thanks for including me in it. No problem. And we will continue the conversation with uh, our next show. Yep. <laughs>